0: you're visiting with us, we are walking through 2 Corinthians. We've come to 5, chapter 5, verse 16. Now, it's interesting what Paul says here. He's going to share a little bit of his testimony and the ultimate change in his life. Paul, you know, there are always certain people that sort of rise to the occasion. Somebody comes in, he seems immediately you know he's going to be the best salesman. Some people come in, he's six on the depth chart at quarterback, but after a little while, you realize, man, this guy can chunk the deal, and all of a sudden, he rises on the depth chart. Paul says that is exactly the way he was as a Jew. He grew up uh, totally Jewish, and he was committed to the idea of Judaism. As a matter of fact, he, uh, he becomes a Pharisee, and he said in Galatians 2, he said, I climbed the ladder faster than any contemporary I had. He said, I, I was quicker than they were. He studied under the top rabbi of his day, and he becomes pretty renowned. It's real possible that while in Jerusalem as a young rabbi, he at least heard about Jesus and may have, in fact, seen him. But he knew about the miracles, he knew about Jesus' claims to be the Christ to be the Messiah he rejected all of that because he's committed to the idea that he loves God and he's going to honor him and he's going to work hard for him and he's going to do everything he's supposed to do as a Pharisee and as a Jew he's so committed to that that he's okay with killing people that are not when the very first guy to die at least in the New Testament that we know of Stephen for Christ He preaches and the Jews just get irate. They take their jackets off and they lay them at his feet. So he guards them for the elite of Israel, the Sanhedrin. They take rocks and they chunk them at Stephen until he's dead. You say, well, how do you know he thought that was okay? Because the very next day, they give him documents and a large group of people who are Jewish police, to say, look, the Christians have begun to flee Israel. Some have gone into Damascus. So you go up there. Here's your documents. You go up there. You get them. You bring them back home because the only way we're going to stop this is to kill it out. So he's okay. I'm not being funny here. It's almost a Jewish ISIS. He's okay with killing people who don't agree with what he believes. So he's on the way. Light hits him. And in the book of Acts, in the Greek, it's real clear. Everybody hears a voice. But in the Greek, it says that only Paul understands the words of the voice. And this voice says to Paul, why do you persecute me? Paul responds and says, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Arise, and I will explain to you what it is you're going to be doing. So he is altered at this point. And you've got to understand something. He spent his life reading the Old Testament in the Hebrew, sharp, brilliant, that Jesus could not possibly be the Messiah. He's okay with killing people who think he is. And now he's discovered, oops, this is wrong. So he spends three years away to try to work his way back through the scripture. He says that he came back and talked to Peter, not to get Peter to okay his ministry but to just get some facts down now listen to what he says in verse in in chapter 5 verse 16 so we no longer remember he's been talking about the fact that these guys are popping his ministry have been talking about how people look instead of what they are he says we don't look at anybody from the outside according to the flesh we used to look at Jesus according to the flesh but we don't do that anymore he says i you just to look at jesus he's done nothing he has no army he's nobody he's a jewish peasant he's below me as the rabbi of jerusalem he's way below me i used to look at him as nobody but i've come to realize that is completely wrong now watch this if anybody's in christ he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, new things have come. Now, it's going to explain that. God has reconciled all of us to himself through Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now listen to what he said. Okay? He says, I've changed my view of Jesus, and here it is, that God, the creator of the universe, has reconciled us to him through Christ christ now the idea of reconciliation is real clear we have a broken relationship you don't have to reconcile the relationship it's okay so what he says is the world and god have a broken relationship now he didn't believe that about himself he believed he and god were okay but now he's come to realize no god and i are not okay we have a broken relationship and he is reconciling me there's the grace of god through jesus back to himself Now that is a problem for us. It's a problem for all of us. It's not just a problem for him. It took him three years to reconcile and work his way through that understanding that it was the grace of God, not his effort. And the reason we even struggle with that, because nothing else in our life is based on grace. Everything's based the opposite. If you're married, you discover real quickly, no matter how much you love each other, you hurt each other. Husbands do and say wrong things. Wives do and say wrong things. And the only way you have a good marriage, it's real simple. It's not that you're perfect. If you have more good times than you have bad times, you have a good marriage. If you have more bad times than you do good times, then you have a bad marriage. And most people divorce because there's more bad than good. It's how we do marriage. Nobody can be perfect. It's the same thing with parenting. As a parent, there are days where you lose your cool. You get upset, you get mad, you don't respond correctly to your children. There are days when your children are mouthy and disrespectful. Now, the way you have a good parenting day is if, as a parent, you're more often correct than not, and if the kids are less often disrespectful than not, then you have a pretty good family but it's based on a scale you have more good than you have bad the scale is more toward the good than the bad then you have a good family life it's the same thing at work wherever you work it's the same thing nobody's perfect at what they do but if you do more good at work than you do bad then you're considered a good employee if you do more bad than you do good then generally you're not a good employee friendship well i'll get upset with friends But if the bulk of the time you're together is good, then you have a good friendship. If you have more bad than good, then you quit being, friends. Everything in our life is scaled except Jesus. He's not scaled. Because the problem is, no matter what we do, we're not going to be okay with God. And I... Now, there are people watching this on TV, and there are some of you in this room, that honestly, in your gut, you think that you're really a pretty good guy. You come to church. You gave to the children's building. You pray once in a while. Read your Bible. You're a good guy. You don't cheat on your wife. You don't beat your children. some things you do here, but really, I'm really pretty good. So at the end of the day, when I die, surely, when I come to the exit, surely God will say, look, you've been pretty good. You really didn't do a lot of bad stuff. I'm good. can't do that. The only relationship in the universe that isn't scale-driven, is yours with the Creator. You say, well, how does he reconcile us then? How does he make everything go? Here's the essence of the grace of God. Look at this in verse 19. So God, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, watch this, not counting against them their trespasses. That's how he does it. And that Greek word literally means a ledger and an account. In other words, you have in your life that God sees a ledger. Everything you've ever done bad is locked in this ledger. It's written down. And you have this list of bad stuff that God sees that is ledgered against you. You have it. And here's the problem. Now listen to me. Because that's the whole point of the table today you got a ledger that lists every bad thing you've got, and here's your problem. It's not a scale thing. If you could erase everything except one deal down here, one deal, he still can't be okay with you. And here's the problem you face. All of us have more than one deal, and listen, we can't fix it, And he can't ignore it. So, what do we do? Well, I'll I'll go to church more. What? What if you come to church more? It doesn't change what's on this ledger. You have trespasses. I don't care what we call it. You call it sin. You call it mistakes. I don't care what you call it. You and I have both done things that are not okay with him. And he can't be okay with us because of it. So we can't fix it, he can't ignore it, so we are in trouble. But he says that he has reconciled the world to himself. In other words, he's fixed this by not counting these trespasses against us. He has figured out a way to, in his grace, pull us to himself, not by ignoring this, but by not counting it against us. Now, how do you do that? Here is the most profound, I'm going to say this without exaggeration, the most profound verse in the entire Word of God. Listen to this. Verse 20, before we get to it, he says, On behalf of Christ, then, we are elders. We we are ambassadors as God beseeching through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's the most profound verse in all of the word of God. Here's how God does not count our trespasses. Who, talking about Jesus Christ, not knowing sin, became sin, or literally in the Greek, was made sin for us In order that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, listen. I hear today from a lot of different people that Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for us. He died for the glory of God. And people say God put Jesus on the cross for His glory. Let let me explain something. That is the silliest statement in the universe. You and I do things for God's glory. You know why? Because we do things not for God's glory. God doesn't do anything for His glory because everything He does is for His glory. So He didn't put His Son on the cross for His glory. It resulted in His glory, but He put Him on the cross according to 521 for us. We're out here spitting in His face. And He's up there saying, You're filling up the ledger, and you can't change it, and I can't ignore it. So, I will fix it. You will take Christ, who he says, knew no sin. Jesus came here, and he died with two kinds of holiness. When he came here, he's got a holiness as God, and then he has a holiness he earns as a man. He comes up out of the baptism. He doesn't quit being God, but he quits depending on God, and he lived out his life just like you and I do, trusting God and what God says, and in that he said no to everything Satan asked him to do, and he said yes to everything God asked him to do. He died with no sin. When you look at the ledger of Jesus Christ from birth to the last hour at 3 o'clock, when he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, when you go from his birth all the way to that moment and you pull up his ledger, there's not a mark anywhere on it. Which is why. He knew no sin. And here's the statement I can't dig up. I don't understand it. I believe it. It's my hope. But I don't understand it. He was made sin for us. I don't know how this happened. But when Jesus at 3 o'clock says, In your hands I commit my spirit. You look at the ledger. Ooh. It's changed. It does have sin on it. His ledger now has marks. They're all mine. And they're all yours. And they're all every person in the Brazos Valley and everybody in the world. All our sin, Jesus used the metaphor, I'm going to drink it. He says he became sin. God took everything and put it on the back. Of Jesus Christ. It took six hours. He dies from nine to three. Why six? Because seven is perfection and six is our number because we're short of perfection. It took six hours for God to dump and to fill up a perfect ledger with our failure. Which is why. You can't fix your ledger. What kind of God would put his son through that if I could fix my own ledger? You can't. That's why he put his son there. Your trespasses are on that ledger so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you realize what this table really represents? It's a trade. That's what it is. I I don't know how you say no to this. You got a creator that you've spit at. He loves you. So while we're spitting, he puts his son here who has no mark. He puts my stuff on him so that if I believe that that happened in time, space, history. Number two, if I believe that I need what he did. And number three, if I ask Jesus, I believe it happened. I believe I need it. I ask you to wash away my sin, to implant your holiness within me, to put your Holy Spirit in me, to guarantee my destiny. I ask you to do that then he does it. Because the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, when I die, and I hit the exit here, when God looks at me, he looks at my ledger, no smudges. Matter of fact, not not only are there no smudges, amazingly, when I die and you look at my ledger, you see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Everything he did right, everything he ignored that was wrong, it's in my ledger. Because I become the righteousness of God. So when I die, I'm okay. I couldn't fix it. He did. He can't ignore it. It's okay. I believe in his son. So, (laughs) that's it. There's no other answer. Every other relationship in the universe works friends, home, is based on scale, not this. The scale is totally righteous or totally doomed. Those are your options. Now, one last thing. So there are two of us in this room. Two of us. Some of us can't come to the table today because we don't believe it happened. We don't believe we need it. We think we can balance the ledger. Then you can't come. My hope is that you will realize that and come in a different way to Christ. However, for those of us in this room that have done those three things, We believe the act happened. We believe the act is what we need. And we have asked God to forgive us through Jesus Christ. For those of us that have done those three things. Belief and a belief that's so legit that I respond to my belief with him. He has made us ambassadors. As God, through, uh, from God, begging through us, and we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We have been given the ministry, or literally in the Greek, the word of reconciliation. The word. Now listen, and I'm done. If you have believed this act happened, and you've believed you've needed it, and you've responded to God based on that belief, why are you still here why doesn't he just take us home I hear all the time now that worship is what Christianity is all about no 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 you're not really ever going to worship well until you die and you stand and you see him for who he really is and until you really do that you can't possibly worship at its fullest so the best way for you to worship is to die so why are we still here why does he need just the minute we come to Christ take us home? Because now that we have discovered the truth of this and embraced that truth, we now have a responsibility to be his ambassador and to breathe that truth to people in our communities that don't know it. That's our call. That's what he says. Now let's be honest today, okay? If you had the cure for cancer, and you kept it to yourself, you know, honestly, I don't know anybody that would do that. I don't. I think anybody that had the cure for cancer in a bottle would take it somewhere and say, here it is, give it to everybody that's got it. We have the calling of a cure that's way more important than cancer. So we have a responsibility to share it. Now, I know, okay, that you're scared to do that. So let me just lay this out. The staff and I, who will be standing down here in a moment, we, uh, we work with each other, and we work with you. So we work with believers the vast majority of the week. You, on the other hand, work with people that aren't believers. They know. You go to Central. They know that. So your job of reconciliation is not to I mean, it's good you invite them here, but that's not going to reconcile anything. Coming to listen to a short, bald guy yell at you is not going to reconcile anything. So, let me just give you a simple thing to do. Okay? Listen to, you stay where you are, but listen to this. So, being deeply desirous of you, we were well pleased to deliver to you not only the gospel of God, but our own souls... Because you have become beloved to us. That's what Paul said to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 8. So that's what you do. You do two things with those around you that do not know Jesus Christ. This is your ministry. This is your calling. You keep this to yourself. You misunderstand every purpose of the gospel for your life. It is not just so you can go home. It's so that you can take some other people with you. So we do two things. We love people, and we give them the truth. Now, how do we do that? Let me just give you one suggestion, and then I'm done. Now, you have to love them in this. You can't do this as a con job to get to the gospel. Okay? You've got to love them. I would take somebody at my work out to lunch. I'd take them out of lunch and I'd sit down and again, you can't do this to con them. You've got to do this because you love them. I would sit down with them and just begin to ask them about their life. Where are they from? How'd they meet their wife? How'd they meet their husband? Tell me about your kids. Tell me about where you went to college. Tell me about what you did. Just because you love them, you engage into their life. At which point, you then, whether it's this lunch or another lunch, you then can share about your life. Born in Tennessee. Grew up in the South. Dad was in the space program. In the middle of Dad transferring in that space program, I was listening to Billy Graham one night. I asked Jesus into my heart and my life, Hasn't been the same since. Here's a little track. Simple. Take and read that. That is what I did. It has altered my life. Just wanted you to know that. Hope we can have lunch again. Is that really that hard? I will say one thing. Make sure you give them a good track. There's some really goofy ones out there that aren't from God, they're from below. So, but just give them that. Love them, which means when they need ministry, you deliver it. Whether they live a lifestyle you're okay with or not, because you understand you live that lifestyle, and the only difference between you and them is the reconciliation God gave you in Jesus Christ. We've been saved for an eternity there and a ministry here. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I, I don't know how you did what you did with your son. But thank you because it's my hope. Father, for those in this room that it's not their hope, that their own activity is their hope, hit them hard this morning. That that won't work. And Father, for those of us that have embraced your truth, Thank you for our destiny. And until we exit, make us live out our ministry. I ask you that. In Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Never met Jesus Christ. But you've realized, you know, I can't, I can't balance the scale here. I want him to save me. We will pray with you down here. We would be glad to do that. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. As he speaks to your heart this morning, you come.